Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like Well, good morning. Uh, good morning. I am Carmen Burge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. And if I sound more sober this morning, it's because um, if you're not aware yet, uh, you know, the world is very much at war. So um, I will just confess that uh, in the spirit of the world and in my fleshly nature, um, I wish we had a different verse to discuss this morning leading off. I wish that our verse of the day um, was something other than the one it is. Now, that is my flesh talking. So uh, for those of you not aware and you um, you haven't heard what is happening in the world over the weekend, um, we are considering and praying today for the nation of Israel. Uh, Israel is now in a declared state of war with what I will describe as regional enemies um, committed to driving the Jewish state out of existence. Um, there's just no question that Hamas militants have uh, the goal of I mean, that's an existential reality. They do not want the state of Israel to exist. And at about 6 a.m. local time on Saturday morning during the Jewish Sabbath, Hamas uh, gunmen crossed the border into southern Israel, um, and they penetrated uh, about 15 miles inland and every community in their path. They killed women and children and men and disabled people and the elderly Um, They posted videos online uh, as they went. Um, The dead include Christians from nations, including the United States of America. Um, It is horrific. Um, There are hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza, Americans among those as well. Uh, And on this day, when Israel is still counting the dead... Um, they have also amassed 100,000 Israeli troops on the Gaza border. Um, th- there, there is real war. And, um, and so I just wish that, you know, our verse of the day was something other than it is, but here it is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39. And these are the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, Don't resist those who are evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and confess. That is not the verse of the day I want to hear today. It's just not. This does not satisfy my warrior heart. Um, Instead, this challenges me to consider the character and the ways of Christ, the Prince of Peace, in the midst of days of war. War is hell. War is hellish. War is not um, something that the Prince of Peace is sovereign uh, in the midst of. Um, War, I mean, we're talking here about, you know, human war, the war between human beings over land and treasure. Um, War is hell. 
It is not the way of heaven. It is the way of hell. And as soon as I say that, you're going to say, yes, but there's a cosmic battle being waged for human souls. It's an all-out war. Yeah, but it's not a battle of flesh and blood. It's not a battle of national borders or land. Um, The kingdoms of this world rage because human hearts rage, endlessly striving for power and domination and control of things and the people of this earth. So real people die real deaths and real blood is really shed and people really suffer in real war. And today in Israel and in the strip of land we call Gaza, real war is being waged. And we stand with a savior who says, you have heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. He said it with his feet planted firmly on the soil of Israel. He said it as the heir forever of the throne of King David. He said it as the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Lords. So, here are a list of verses that I wish had been the verse of the day because I, this is my, you know, there's this is the flesh, right? I wish that couldn't couldn't the verse today have been from Deuteronomy 20? When you go to war against your enemy and see their horses and their chariots and their army that is greater than yours, don't be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt is with you. Couldn't that be the verse of the day? Or how about Ecclesiastes 8:8? 8, 8? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or the authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in the time of war and evil will not deliver those who practice it. I mean, couldn't that be the verse of the day? How about, I mean, how about Psalm 18? There's some really good war verses in Psalm 18. How about verses 34 and 39? He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can uh, bend the bow of bronze. You have girded me with the strength, your strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. I mean, or, you know, if you're saying, well, it's got to be a verse of the day from the New Testament because, you know, that's where we're studying right now. Well, then couldn't it have been Jesus's words in like, I don't know, Luke 14? What king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether or not he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one who's coming against him with 20,000? Like, count the cost of war. How about Matthew 24? Actually, these verses appear in Mark and Luke as well. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, says Jesus. See that you do not become frightened. These are the things that are going to take place. And even then, the end has not yet come. I could work with Psalm 120, verse 7. For I am peace, but when I speak, those against me are of war. Nope, none of those verses are the verse of the day. Before us, we have the voice of the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount calling us to a higher righteousness, calling us to an allegiance to the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, whose kingdom has no end. Amen? Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 38 and 39, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. These are the ways of the world. I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If they slap you on the right cheek, turn to him the left as well. What do you make of that? What do you make of that on this particular day? I am praying that God will give us minds to read the signs of the times, 
hearts aflame for him. I pray that our hearts and minds would be sober with the understanding of history in this present moment in which we live. The world is at war, my friend. Um, Today, in a more formal way than last week, but the world has been at war for as long as people have worshipped any other than God. So the battle, let us always remember, let us always remember this, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is also not against flesh and blood. The battle is a battle for the heart. So today, right now, Jesus wants to reign and rule in your heart. Jesus wants to hear us say to him, You are Lord. Come what may, you are Lord. And Jesus wants us to hear him say to us, the world is going to tell you to seek revenge. I'm telling you, that's not the way to peace nor to real power. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And I laid down my life. Your role is to go and to make disciples, not to battle over the things of this earth. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. Your perspective is limited, mine is not. I've got the whole world in my hands. You can barely handle the concerns of your own day. I've got this, says the Lord. You do not need to fret. Pray, yes. Bind up the broken, yes. Tend to the needy, yes. Armor up, yes. And stand, yes. But not against flesh and blood. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes when they come. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, and then, only then, take the offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for all the Lord's people. Um, So let's prepare ourselves for some prayer today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, some of you uh, are asking, okay, exactly what happened? Uh, And so in in brief, in brief, Israel is at war Um, on Saturday morning. A little after six local time, keeping in mind that is uh, that is the Sabbath for the Jews from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And so um, most people are sleeping in. Um, and when they when they do get up, they're not they are not turning anything on, um, which would include their cell phones. It would include their social media alerts. And so um Hamas, after firing thousands of rockets from the Palestinian-controlled Gaza Strip into Israel, um, hundreds of Hamas militants then invaded 
southern Israel crossing the border, uh, crossing the border by, according to the Israeli uh, Defense Force, the IDF, uh, crossing the border by land, sea, and air. They killed women and children, disabled and elderly people. They maimed their bodies. They, um, I know there are little ears listening. So the other things that they did uh, to women uh, along the way, um, <clears throat> uh, we won't account for here. They paraded their stripped bodies in the streets. They targeted a celebration of teenagers, um, people who were uh, asleep, um, but attending uh, a Yom Kippur festival um, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Yom Kippur. It is being described as Israel's 9-11. Hundreds, more than 700 now accounted for, hundreds of Israelis are dead, thousands wounded. Israel's prime minister has vowed a, quote, mighty vengeance. So at 2 a.m. Central Time today, U.S. time, 2 a.m. Central Time here in the United States, um, Al Jazeera was reporting Israel had amassed more than 100,000 troops, tanks, and armored personnel carriers on the border with the tiny strip of land that you would call Gaza. And so I don't know what world you went to sleep in, but you have woken up to a world um, at war. And if you read the New York Times this morning, um, you would think that this conflict started a few decades ago, maybe maybe as many as a couple of centuries ago. But there is no reference to any sort of secular reporting this morning. Um, there's no reference to the thousands of years of history of war and bloodshed and prophecy and the contested land and the religious convictions of the people involved here. It's, it's staggering to me how there's a, 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 such a, a lack of uh, understanding about just how deep and long and historic this conflict is. There can be no way to understand the Israeli-Palestinian conflict nor the depth of commitment that each side has to the extermination of the other if you don't understand the ethnic, national, historical, and religious factors involved here. It's just impossible to understand it. These are religious people. Even if Israel is a secular Jewish state, <laughs> it's a Jewish state. It, this is a religious conflict. Um, it's the only Jewish state in the whole world. And religion impacts the identity of the people, the policies, the attitudes, the expectations, the willingness of everyone on both sides to fight to the death. And if you wonder why religion is at the core of this conflict, um, there is the sanctity of holy sites at issue, and there are competing apocalyptic narratives in both Islam and Judaism. And there are religious zealots on both sides. On Israel's side, um, the religious Zionists see themselves as the guardians and the definers of the Jewish state. Uh, on the side of Hamas, which is a militant Isla Islamist group in uh, this particular version of it in, Pal in you know, in the Palestinian uh, quote unquote state that's not really a state. Um, the, the, they view themselves as um, responsible to liberate the quote unquote holy territories and sites for Allah. And so you are going to hear and read a great deal about the oppression of particular people in the midst of this conversation 
and their quote-unquote right to particular land. And if you don't understand the Bible, you cannot understand what's happening. You just can't. Um, And even if this is a conversation about a modern state of Israel, it's just impossible to pull that out, extricate that conversation, separate that conversation from a deeper and larger and historic conversation about the people of Israel, the chosen people of Israel, God's um, hand upon them, his blessing over them, um, who who they are in the context of not just world history, but, you know, like God's history of the world. So we're going to um, continue to unpack this and pull some of these threads here this morning because I do want you to understand what is happening. And I also want you to be praying. I want you to be thinking about how you can support um, Christian brothers and sisters on, you know, frankly, on both sides of this uh, in terms of where they where they geographically find themselves. Um, there are Christians in uh, in in the West Bank. There are Christians in Gaza. There are Christians in Bethlehem, which is across the border here and the part of uh, the world we're talking about. Um, there are uh, and there are certainly Christians in Israel, and there are Christians among those who are now um, being held hostage. So um, there's, you know, how can we support Israel? How can we support our brothers and sisters in Christ? How can we welcome people who are almost certainly going to be fleeing? Um, so we're going to have all kinds of conversations about these things, but I do want you to understand what is happening uh, because we, we, if you are an American, we are in this. Americans are among the dead. Americans are among the hostages. Um, American technology is uh, is being used um, to support the Iron Dome and American naval vessels are now surging to this region, to this part of the Mediterranean. So more in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, this is Carmen from the Mornings with Carmen show. Who's your pastor? This is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so I want you to think about who is your pastor or who are your pastors? Who shepherds your heart? Who gives you wise and faithful counsel? Who comes alongside to encourage you as you walk difficult stretches of the road? Who opens the word of God to you in ways that actually help you live into the character and ways of God? Who are your pastors? Do they know it? It's possible you have lots of answers to this question, that maybe there is somebody who's preaching or teaching you listen to regularly. They shape your scripture engagement, but they don't know it. I'm encouraging you to tell them. Whoever it is that comes to mind when I say, who is your pastor? I want you to reach out to them this month. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So encourage those who pastor you. Oh, and if you are a pastor, thank you. Bless you. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. All right, good morning again. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Um, This is a little bit uh, sober sober start to our conversation today on this Monday morning, October the 9th, 2023. Um, If you are just waking up and over the weekend you were um, tuned out, I totally 100% understand that. Um, The nation of Israel is at war. Uh, It is no small matter. It is um, by their own testimony for people uh, in in Israel, um, it is the most significant war uh, in their lifetime. You'd have to go back uh, fifty years to 
to Yom Kippur to uh, even begin to have conversations about something that was this wide, wide scale. We're not talking about something that is probably going to be over in six days. Um, but uh, God only knows, right? God only knows. If it's over in six days, um, let me just tell you, there's a bloodbath coming in the next uh, in the in the next 48, 72 hours. Um, there are 100,000 Israeli troops amassed at the border of what we call the Gaza Strip. Um, and we are talking about millions of people between those 100,000 Israeli troops and the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and Egypt is the only other border uh, available. And so there is, um, there is a lot to be uh, soberly considering this morning. So um, it's imperative, I think, to remember uh, in the midst of all of this, um, who the people are who are living on the Gaza Strip. We refer to them as Palestinians. They are um, refugees registered by the United Nations in issues that have never been resolved since the formation of the modern Jewish state in uh, in 1948. So um, following World War II, no country wanted to host the Jewish survivors of the Holocaust. And so the Western world created... Uh, carved out um, what we now know as the modern state of Israel. Well, obviously, there were already people living there. And so um, those Western powers that won the war relocated all those people. And about 1.5 million of them became refugees. Those people um, are, quote unquote, the Palestinians. And those people, those 1.5 million refugees, um, now, because they have descendants, um, are now 5.9 million registered Palestinian refugees receiving United Nations benefits around the world. 2.3 million of them, 2.3 million of them live in the Gaza Strip. So um, the Gaza Strip is slightly larger in land mass. So it's just uh, it's about twice the size of Washington, D.C., so 2.3 million people living um, in a patch of land about twice the size of Washington, D.C. Um, and those 2.3 million people uh, now have 100,000 heavily armed Israeli troops um, headed into their neighborhoods. Now, what about Israel? Well, Israel has a land mass that would fit more than 10 times inside the state of Minnesota. So you could put 10 Israels inside the state of Minnesota, and Minnesota has like, I don't know, five and a half, five point seven million people. Um, Israel has more than nine million residents. So we got nine million people in a land mass, one actually a little less than one tenth the size of Minnesota. And it is surrounded by hostile neighbors who hate it and want to drive it into the sea. So if you were to read um, the New York Times, again, and many other outlets today, you would think that this all started with the need for the Jews to have a place to go after World War II. Um, but if you dig a little further into history, you're going to recognize that we're talking about um, a patch of land that, um, you know, centered in Jerusalem that has been at issue for millennia. Um, it's been an issue for, uh, for millennia. I just, this is my list. There might be a longer list. Um, 
There might be a longer list than this. Uh, Jerusalem has been attacked 52 times, captured and recaptured 44 times, besieged 23 times, destroyed twice. I mean, like raised to the ground. It has been ruled by the ancient Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Israelites, the Greeks, the Romans, the Persians, the Byzantines, the Islamic caliphates, which is at issue now, the Crusaders, the Ottomans, also at issue now, and finally the British, before it was divided into Israel and Jordan in 1948 up until like 1967. Jerusalem has been the capital of the kingdom of Israel during the reign of King David. It is where the Temple Mount exists, the Western Wall, both highly sanctified sites in Judaism. In Islamic history, the city was the first Muslim Qibla. Um, It's the direction toward which Muslims face during their times of prayer. It's also the place where the prophet Muhammad uh, uh, brought forward um, and uh, supposedly ascended into heaven. It's called uh, it's called the place of the night journey. So uh, it's the place um, it has apocalyptic implications in both religions. um, And Hamas at issue here wants to drive Israel into the sea. So what can we do? What what shall we do? Um, Well. We have to remember that it's not like an isolated incident. It's just not just Israel um, with some folks in Gaza who are upset with them. Hamas is a terrorist organization financed by the nation of Iran. And Iranian leadership constantly, continually calls for death to America and death to Israel. So it's this is not like um, this is a small conflict between Israel and and some refugees that live on the coast. Since the Islamic Revolution in Iran in 1979, Iran has been the most virulent and aggressive regional opponent to the existence of the Jewish state of Israel. And um, Islam is ruled by a radical religious regime. It is an Islamist theocracy. And that is that is who is behind, according to reporting by The Wall Street Journal and others, it is Iran who financed and planned this attack by Hamas on Israel. And that is going to be at issue in the conversations of the day as well. So what what are we to do? What are we to do in all of this? First, pray. On our knees with our faces to the ground, pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray Pray for the precious people, image bearers, everyone, on every side of the conflict. Support Israel as you are able. We're going to talk uh, tomorrow and the following day um, a little more about how to do that with folks on the ground. Welcome those who are looking for a place uh, to be. And and I'm going to encourage you to stand. I'm going to encourage you to um, find a Jewish family, a Jewish person, a Jewish school, a Jewish synagogue in your community where you live and go tell them that you are with them and you are for them. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Daniel Bennett is back from John Brown University in the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Daniel, good morning. Morning, Carmen. It's been a while. It's been it's been a while. It's been a while. Where where you been? What have you been doing? Who who are you talking to? Semesters uh, in full gear. Just took midterms. Students are stressed, but in a good way. I feel like they're finding their footing. So 
It's getting chilly here too. Things are great. Yeah, it's um I, the uh, the turn of the weather is um I will just say so so welcome. So Very much. welcome. Yeah. Um all right, so um I thought that maybe we would spend a little time talking today about the faith of um, political candidates, not not maybe, you know, drilling down specifically into the weeds on every single one, but recognizing that um, people present themselves, particularly in um, in the culture that we live in. They present themselves as being people of faith, um, in part because nobody wants an atheist running the show. Like, right, we would very much like to be a people um, pledging allegiance to a country that still understands itself to be, um, you know, one nation under God, um, even if that's not how we behave. I mean, is that accurate? Like, people don't want an atheist leader. They want a person of faith, but that means various and sundry things. Yeah, it's strange as uh, culture has become a lot more secularized over the last few decades, uh, the rise of the nuns, the uh, increase in folks who don't identify with uh, institutional religion, you know, that's been steadily increasing. Uh, And yet, uh, you know, Congress is still overwhelmingly identifying as as Christian in some capacity, well outpacing the population as a whole. Uh, I was talking to Ryan Burge about this the other day, and uh, he was, he was, you know, suggesting essentially what you are, that even though, you know, the culture is still very much uh, shifting in a direction where it's more acceptable to be a nun or someone who doesn't identify as a person of faith, uh, let alone a Christian, there's still this expectation that we want our leaders or at least value our leaders uh, expressing a, a form of, re- of religiosity. Now, how long that'll be the case is, is kind of the million-dollar question with this. You know, is it a generational thing? In 20 or 30 years, are we going to... Uh, you know, see a shift. But but Ryan is just a little bit older than I am. And he said he'd be shocked if there was an atheist president in his lifetime, even though the vast majority or rather, even though we'll see a continued increase in the number of uh, the nuns in the years ahead. So I think you're right. Religion still matters for people, even though they themselves might not identify with it personally. When I um, when I hear a candidate um, describe themselves as um, as a person of faith that should give me pause. Um, I was uh, I was rereading um, a a conversation um, that Nikki Haley had. Uh, it's this has been this dates back to like February, um, and this is covered by Religion News Service. You know, she says she's a Christian, um, but then they go on to say that is complicated. So the the words don't necessarily mean the same things when they're used by everyone. I think um, I referred to this last week in conversation, um, not with you, but with another person, you know, when we're talking about Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, when he refers to God, he doesn't mean the same thing. Um, or when he refers to us being a nation of, you know, of faith and faithful people, that faith is not the same faith as the one that I have as an evangelical Christian. Can you unpack some of that for us? Yeah. And so this is where, you know, the importance of God talk in politics still very much is is relevant. So someone like Ramaswamy, I think, has, you know, put his, uh, really identified this this desire uh, for candidates, or rather for people to uh, have a leader that identifies with Judeo-Christian values, or at least, theism of some sort. 
um, you know, he himself uh, coming from a Hindu background, you know, still believing that there is a God, but certainly it's, and when we're talking about conceptions of God, it's very different from the type of God that Christians are going to be understanding through scripture and through, uh, you know, Jesus Christ and, and, and these important elements of our faith. Uh, so this is where I think individual discernment is going to play a critical role. Um, if we are drawn to a particular candidate for myriad reasons, and then we're wondering, or we're, we're asking ourselves, you know, I, I just wish, wish this person was, was more like me in terms of his faith, and then the person comes out and says something like that, you know, we have to be willing to still be discerning and critical, not in a negative sense, but really thinking through the implications rather than just saying, oh, well, that's good then. We're good. That checks the box. You know, you see that in, you, we've seen that in presidential history for, for decades, right? Oh, uh, Joe Biden says he's Catholic. Boom. I'm good. Or Donald Trump says he's a Christian. Boom. Okay. That's good then. I think it, I think it requires more discernment from, from us individually to really suss out the implications of these things rather than just, oh, he speaks my language. Uh, we can move on to, to uh, the other important things. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are read in on all that's going on um, in Israel, but I have noted over the last, well, 24 hours, if not 48, I mean, if now getting close to 48 hours, um, the the responses of every Every candidate, um, right, and and everyone is, it's almost as if they're at some level speaking off of the same script. You hear over and over and over again, Israel has the right to defend itself. Israel has the right to defend itself. And then you hear, I stand with Israel. Like those are the, I mean, you know, various and sundry ways of or words to use to describe what happened. But in the end, um, uh, Israel has the right to defend itself. Um, you know, I stand with Israel and so must the United States of America. Um, this is a geopolitical conversation. This is an internal political conversation in the United States, but this is also a religious conversation. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's exactly right. Uh, certainly, uh, evangelicals like, like you and me have, a you know, particularly complicated, but, uh, also really fairly simple relationship with Israel, uh, given, you know, the, the Bible's depiction of Israel and the narrative in the Old Testament and uh, the implications for, for Israel existing today, what that means for certain elements of Christian eschatology in the end times. Um, and I, I, do, I do think, I mean, obviously there's a larger religious implication here, given, given the history we have with Israel in the, in the Bible, um, but it is noteworthy Right, because Israel is one of those issues that crosses parties in the United States like almost almost nothing else. You're mm. going to have your your elements in the Democratic Party, and I'm, I, I think you can maybe pick out a handful of lawmakers in the House right now who are less than full-throatedly in defense of Israel. But everybody else, including the folks who are criticized the most from folks on the right, are going to be full-heartedly in defense of Israel, right? That's one of those non-losing political issues in the United States. And you'll have folks within the parties, especially Democratic Party, in the rank and file who are, you know, critical of Israel and more defensive of Palestine. 
But if you look at the responses from both the left and the right, um, at least at the elite level, uh, it's one of those issues that will cross party lines like almost nothing else. Um, so not only is this a religious issue for, for Christians, but it also is one of those uh, <laughs> unusual cross-party issues in American politics. And I think uh, given that Israel's, you know, occupies a unique role in the Middle East and serves as such an important strategic and historical ally for the U.S., I think it's probably a good thing. So I, um, I turned just a moment's attention to, um, you know, sort of where this works itself out in the politics of the United States in terms of people's religious affiliation. And uh, in, in a 2020 Pew Research um, survey, mm. it says that um, Jewish people are among the most consistently liberal and democratic groups in the United States. Seven in 10 Jewish adults identify with or lean toward the Democratic Party half describe their political views as liberal. Um, and, and yet, you know, the person who would argue, arguably be at least the figurehead of the Democrats right now has yet to make any sort of public statement about what has happened in Israel, what is happening in Israel. And I, I just find that stunning. I find it a stunning um, failure. I mean, again, this is this is more politics than religion, I suppose, but um, that the president of the United States has yet to publicly say anything about what's happening. I just, it's stunning to me. Yeah. And I mean, I think, who knows? I mean, there, there's definitely considerations there. They've released elements or they've released reports of him speaking with, uh, with uh, Netanyahu uh, expressing support, but that's very different from a public statement. Uh, so, you know, you, you probably see that pressure ratcheted up in the days ahead. Um but, yeah, this is one of those issues. I think you hit it right on the head that, yeah, there are significant, you know, political uh, elements for the United States. Obviously, the humanitarian toll in Israel is just staggering right now. And, you know, that, that certainly uh, dwarfs anything going on in terms of, of presidential politics here and the, who's responding how. Um, but, yeah, the religious undertones here, too, are just really interesting uh, particularly for evangelicals. Evangelicals are Israel's by far largest support group in the United States in terms of in terms of political and, and military support uh, going to stand with Israel. Um, Jews, interestingly, seven in 10 Democrats, depending on what camp of Jews you're with in the U.S., you're going to be, I guess, more uh, <laughs> critical or skeptical of the Israeli state. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which, which adds a layer of complexity. It's, it's not just that all Jews are going to be defensive of Israel, far from it. Uh, there, there's a lot of complexity with this issue. And this, this, again, speaks to discernment, Carmen, right? It's not yeah. just, you know, you have to read beyond the headlines sometimes. Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the complicating factors in all of this um, is the so the refugee status of yeah the stateless people who we call the Palestinians. And, and so I don't even know, I mean, you know, these are technically United Nations refugees and, and this is at least at some level, a refugee camp. Um, And so again, it's so complicated, right? I mean, I, right. um, There's just going to be, there's going to be very, very complicated conversations going forward um, in terms of uh, who cares for people because there are going to be desperately, desperately broken people, um, uh, you know, across the region in relationship to this. So, 
I'm just trying to take a deep breath and um yes. and and anticipate the needs um and anticipate the the heart level um I mean like right this is a this is this are sober sober days in which we find yes. ourselves living. Right. Yeah. Hey, let's take a brief break. Um when we come back, um the National Association of Evangelicals Um, The NAE is focusing on preserving our democracy. This is an intersection, an interesting intersection of who we are as evangelical Christians and the politics of the day. So we're going to talk with Daniel Bennett about that. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Angela Smith, host of Reading the Bible Together. And have you ever read the book of Matthew? You know, at the very beginning when it has the whole genealogy of Jesus and read or tried to read through those difficult names and thought, who are these people? What what are their stories? You know, why are they listed here? In our next reading plan, we're going to be looking at five of the women in Jesus's genealogy. It's called Unexpected, Five Women in the Lineage of Jesus. We're going to take a look at Tamar. Who was she? You know, what what is her story? We're going to look at Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary, Jesus's mother. All the women who you're going to hear on the podcast have contributed to the study guide. You can get your hands on that study guide at myfaithradio.com and sign up. I sure hope that you'll do this study with us so that the next time you go and read Jesus's genealogy, you'll recognize some of those names and know some of those stories. You can get that study guide at myfaithradio.com and you can listen to Reading the Bible Together podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're talking with Daniel Bennett from John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Uh, So I am reading that the National Association of Evangelicals um, has uh, has shared, maybe that's the word, (laughs) declared. (laughs) It's uh, it's issued a resolution that focuses on the preservation of American democracy. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. they're, they're emphasizing, I'll just read a section from it, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, today, our democracy faces threats as the quality and tenor of political discourse continues to coarsen, increasingly untethered from a shared factual basis. And they go on, or uh, this is Walter Kim, uh, the president of the NAE, saying, uh, trust in our institutions, leaders, and even the rule of law has reached a dangerous low. Um, and he goes on to say, as church leaders, we have played a role in this crisis, but why, by what we have done and left undone, and we resolve to advocate and demonstrate a positive biblical vision for our common life together. So this is one of those things, it's like a Rorschach test, I'm guessing, because depending on what side or what lens through which you view the political world, you're going to see this and either be uh, tempted or tempted rather to say, well, he's talking about them. He's talking mm. about those folks over there. And, you know, there's plenty to critique uh, among Republicans. There's plenty to critique among Democrats in terms of the breakdown of trust and, and tenor of our, of our uh, shared discourse together. But I think it's noteworthy to, that it's the NAE releasing this uh, and then immediately kind of pointing back to, and it's actually, it's actually us. It's, it's in the church. It's church leaders. It's pastors. It's people in the pews. Um, you know, if we are people of Jesus, then we should be markedly different from the rest of the world when it comes to our politics, not the policy implications, but just how we do politics. And I think it's almost, almost not very controversial to suggest that 
our politics, how we do politics in this day and age as Christians, may not be that much different from the rest of the world. So this is a nice, I think, wake-up call and a gentle probe to say, how are we doing business in this way, and how can we be doing better? Yeah, and if you're wondering right now, like, well, who is the NAE? It is... um it's like a collaborative fellowship of evangelical Protestant groups in the United States. That would be my, you know, just, yeah. I was on the board of the NAE for a period of time, and that's the way I would describe it. A collaborative yeah, fellowship. Is, yeah. yeah. And this is not a, a group concerned with any specific type of political activism or folks that might be associated more with, you know, like culture war issues or social justice. It It, it is really the predominant group for theologically conservative evangelical Christians in the United States. Um, You know, I mean, institutions like uh, the CCCU, uh, which is the uh, college and university group that JBU, where I teach, is part of, and a lot of other Christian colleges that your listeners have heard of, they're part of. They are at least tangentially related to the NAE. Some of them just take their faith statements from the NAE, um, so, uh, yeah, it is interesting that this is a pretty big umbrella group for, for I imagine, a lot of your listeners. And uh, for them to be talking about preserving our democracy, what they really mean here is just our collective and shared life together. It's not, the, it's not necessarily the political institutions. I mean, although that's part of it. It's more about our, our collective and public life uh, and how we can strengthen that as Christians. Daniel, um, as always, thank you so much. It's always, uh, it's, it's always a, it's a refreshing joy to talk with you. So thank you. We've, uh, we've, we've missed you and, uh, we're glad to have you back. All right. So, um, what are you thinking about? Um, how are you thinking about what you're thinking about today? How are you applying the mind of Christ to the challenges and the issues, uh, that you're facing in your individual life? Um, What's concerning you this morning? My guess is that uh, most of us, um, most of us have been focused on things much closer to home than, um, than that which is happening, um, you know, halfway around the world, but happening in real time. So I love, uh, I love Mary's, Mary's prayer that she texted in just a moment ago. Remember, the text line is always open. You can communicate with me there, 877-933-2484. Mary says, Lord, Remind us who the real enemy is. Give me specific points of focus, specific individuals, in your sovereign will for whom I can pray, even as I pray for all involved. Holy God, may they not enter eternity without knowing you. I have asked you to break my heart for what breaks yours. And today, Father, you are answering that prayer. So what breaks your heart today? How are you lifting that up before the Lord? Are you acknowledging his um, his sovereignty, his goodness, his grace, his provision, his watch care, his eternal plan? None of this um, caught God by surprise. And it is really hard. I know it's hard to imagine. I just, I know it is because it's hard sometimes for me to imagine. God literally has the whole world in his hands. He knows every single person and um, what they're going through and dealing with today, what they're facing. He knows what you are facing. He knows the challenges um, in your family. 
He knows the challenges that you face physically and financially, emotionally and spiritually, um, relationally. Um, God knows what is on your calendar for today. He also knows, he also knows um, the things that you don't yet know that you're going to encounter. And he would very much like to prepare you in advance for both the joys and the sorrows, um, for, for that which is headed your way that you don't know. Um, unexpected miracles and blessings, and yes, unexpected challenges, and the ways in which others will likely sin against you. Um, and so let's be, um, let's be not only praying for one another today, let's be holding one another tenderly, tenderly in our prayers. Holy God, grant your grace. We thank you for your presence and your power. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the access we have to your throne room right now in his name. By the power of his spirit, holy God, bind us up, heart, mind, soul, and strength today um, for the living of these days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've got another hour up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.